Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber Way. Hey guys, it's been way too long and I apologize for the long sabbatical. To be honest, I could not stay awake long enough to edit episodes. I usually edit these while I'm waiting outside of my boys' school to pick them up. And well, in case you missed it, I've been growing an entire universe in my womb and that shit is hard. Anytime I sat down or sat still, I fell asleep. (laughs) But overall, I've been pretty lucky in the morning sickness area, with the exception of just a few horrible days. But this exhaustion is real. Now I'm 17, almost 18 weeks along, and I'm getting some of my energy back, slash not falling asleep in random places. So I figured that I need to get the rest of the episodes I've already recorded out before my third trimester hits and I lose all of my energy again. In today's interview, you will hear from a woman whose family had a very tough experience with adoption. For those of us who are adoption advocates, it can be hard to hear some of this story but I encourage you to listen to the entire story as you can still learn something that you may not know and that can help you gain some understanding as to why there are folks out there that are against adoption. So I guess this would be considered a trigger warning, not only for adoptive couples or people planning to adopt, but for adoptees as well, and possibly even birth parents. Right up front, I want to tell you that I do not agree with everything that you will hear today or next time, but this is their truth, and I do not want to take anything away from their story and their experience. I also wanted to let you know that names have been changed to protect their privacy per their request. So here is Heather. So this is the first time I'm really telling the story. I'm a little bit... um, it's really kind of a hard story because it's full of loss. Um, I'll be upfront. I'm not an adoptee and I'm not a birth mother. My connection started with my daughter in 2011, becoming pregnant as a senior in high school. Her and her boyfriend, her only boyfriend, it was very unexpected and it devastated our families. It shouldn't have devastated our families, but it did. It threw us in a hole like, what are we doing? They're going to college. You know, we're both very capable families. They all had a future. And it, it threw us for a loop. So that summer before her, their senior year is when they found out. So we sat on that for a couple months just trying to process that. And we, we come from a, a church background. We're in church every, every Sunday. And um, we are Christians and, you know, tried to do the best we could with our daughters. So this was a, a big blow to our, our family and our reputation. <laughs> So as to say, we were in a, a pretty legalistic, legalistic church at the time, so it affected us in that way as well. This is not a new story. A young Christian girl, a teen, gets pregnant outside of marriage, and it's devastating to the family. So you weigh your options. The um, next process that we, we walked through was talking about adoption, 
versus keeping the baby, how that would work, how that would impact their lives. And we actually, in a Bible study, had declared this to our, our group that we have a daughter who's expecting and we just are devastated by it, by the decision-making we have to do. Then we had um, a gal in our Bible study come up to us and tell us that her daughter had had the same thing happen. And they decided on an open adoption and it's been working really well. I think they were in it five years. I think the, the little girl was five. So we had a, a couple meetings with the birth mother of that child. And it was all very positive. They talked about an open adoption and how that was working. And so we considered it and we went to a crisis pregnancy center and they gave us a couple adoption attorney names and numbers. So we went from there. A crisis pregnancy center, sometimes called a pregnancy resource center, is a type of nonprofit organization established to counsel pregnant women against having an abortion. We scheduled the appointment to meet with the attorney. That would be the father of the baby, the mother of the baby, my daughter, the expected mother, and my husband and I and the parents of the father of the baby. So we all met uh, with a referral of an attorney from the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and we just randomly picked her. We decided to go, not go with an agency because we wanted our daughter to have representation, and we just felt better about that just because we did. We just wanted her to have her own attorney. So uh, we sat with her in discussion, and she talked about open adoption and how that worked and what that looked like, and uh, my daughter didn't really care for an open adoption. She was very confused, very hurting, but we only heard positive stories about open adoption and we've been in the church forever and you know there's never been any negative talk about adoption it's always been promoting adoption and how it's a loving choice and then you know scripture was always brought into it not really no not I'm going to take that back scripture was never brought into it we were just told God's will is for adoption to happen you know we were just told we never looked into it she's right the church is always preaching about adoption over abortion She stated that scripture was never brought into it, and she also stated later on that scripture does not support adoption, but the Bible does back up adoption. It is woven all through scripture. You can find it in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, Romans 9, 6 through 8, the story of Moses, and also Jesus himself. So yes, adoption is always encouraged by Christians and Christian leaders especially over abortion. So we just assumed, and we thought this was a good idea, and my daughter was, you know, getting on board, and she she thought, okay, it could be a good thing. And so we went from there, and the kids talked about adoption, talked about parenting. They were in high school, so it was was a very tumultuous time. And um, I was a little concerned that my daughter could possibly, in her irrational state, consider it abortion. So uh, because it was just, uh, it was, it was just really hard getting up and going to school and, you know, the embarrassment, the every, everything was hard. So um, I was really concerned about that. She never told me, but, but there was this innate sense that I had that she could possibly consider that not thinking through that. I had an experience with, in, in the church with uh, a youth group, one of the youth group leaders uh, as a mom, she had 
uh, had an abortion when she was a teenager and she was very open about it. So um, this mother who was my age, she was exactly my age. I reached out to her to ask if, if she would possibly talk to my daughter about her situation and how that affected her just so that she would, my daughter would, would not think of doing such a thing. We, we just didn't want that to happen. So she did. This gal reached out, talked to her, became friends with her. And um, I, I trusted her with it because of her experience. However, I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> and, and what was coming was she continued her relationship with me, talking about my daughter, asking how she was doing. Within the turmoil of all of the uh, going to school, trying to figure out what they were doing, um, we had been bringing profile books home from the attorney's office and letting the kids go through them together. And uh, there was a moment in time that I'll never forget. I went down to the basement because they were down there looking, and they were just sobbing, both these kids. When I say kids, that would be the father of the baby and my daughter. And I, gr- I, grabbed, <laughs> I grabbed the books, and I just looked at them, and I just said, don't, you don't need to do this. Don't think about this anymore. We will make a different plan. You guys make a different plan. I can see that you are this is not what you want to do. Um, we are good with helping parents. We are fine. I grabbed the books. I took them back to the attorney's office and said, you know, the kids are done. Don't contact them. Uh, we're moving on to parenting plans. So in the meantime, uh, I received, this was only a few days later that I received a phone call from this friend who spoke to my daughter about her abortion experience. And um, she asked me if her daughter and son-in-law could possibly adopt my daughter's child. And at this point, we had, I mean, this was only days after this whole, like, the dust hadn't even settled. And I said, I had told her no. I had told her no. Um, th- her her daughter and son-in-law already had biological children. I it, w- it was really a put-off question to me. I couldn't even believe someone had asked me that. But it's awkward. I just let it go with the answer no. So unbeknownst to me, after this had happened, that friend of mine called and I told no. Her daughter started reaching out to my daughter privately on Facebook, messaging, whatever, and talking to her and befriending her. And it was not much longer that my daughter approached me and said, I really feel like this could be a good thing. We've talked about open adoption and how we'd be extended family. And they're Christians and, you know, they seem very nice. And, you know, they could mentor us as friends to some degree, whatever. And, and I was stunned by it at first because I had told them no, didn't really understand how, whether that connection was prior or after it did turn out to be after I told the the friend no but it was really the only piece I had sliver of peace I saw from my daughter from the chaos and the confusion and uh so I went with it I rolled with it my husband and I were just like "Mm, well you know she she's finding peace some sort of peace in this and Um, that's what really allowed the adopted family to come into our lives. I get where she is coming from with being put off by this woman asking her about her daughter adopting the baby. 
And I think it was shady of the friend's daughter to reach out after they had already been told no. However, like Heather said, it did seem at first like her daughter was finally finding some peace. So it it started off well. We became, you know, friends with them. And my daughter uh, became friends with them. And they talked frequently. They messaged frequently. We answered their questions, asked them questions. Um, And then my daughter and the father of the baby decided to meet with them. They were in Texas and they they were coming back to the Midwest. They were were moving back to the Midwest soon. They They were looking for employment there. And they flew in from Texas and met with our family, all six of us, my daughter, her boyfriend's parents and her boyfriend and my husband and I in my home for, for hours and hours and hours over a weekend. And so we went over this plan and asked them question after question. We were supposed to be just, you know, extended family. There's nothing wrong with our family. We are very capable. We have the finances, but you know, they're an unmarried couple. Should they get married just for the child? Whatever. We, we, you know, it was just a, it was just, it seemed like a good plan and they seemed like very good people. So, so they made an adoption plan and my, my daughter and her boyfriend stuck to that plan. And when the baby was born, um, it was very awkward and painful in the hospital. And I was very close to my daughter. My husband and I were both very close to my daughter and walked her through this and tried to be by her side. We were not absent parents letting these kids do and make these decisions on their own. We wanted to protect them, protect families, protect this little little girl that was born, our granddaughter. So in the hospital, it became very awkward with the adoptive parents. And um, they were frustrated um, at times with my daughter deciding um, with the counselor's uh, request or approval or suggestion that that my daughter take this time to just be with her daughter and her time is very precious and to decide who and who and when she wants people at the hospital, which I appreciated from the counselor there. However, the frustration level of the prospective adoptive parents was noticed and declared in ways, but at the time when, when you're all in the hospital, it's very confusing. You're not thinking correctly. And it's very easy to go back and see how that all played out and how wrong it was. But we're also a very grace-giving family and trustworthy and loyal, <laughs> all of that. So we didn't see it. I mean, we, we saw it, but we didn't. We, we thought, okay, surely this is a very awkward situation for everybody. I can't speak for everybody, but I can tell you that in my personal experience as an adopted mother, it was extremely awkward for me as well. However, we were counseled by our caseworker through the agency that it is all about the first mother during that time, asking her permission to hold the baby, making sure she was okay, letting her be with the baby as long as she wanted to, and in privacy if she wanted. With a lot of counseling, we went into that hospital with guarded hearts, knowing very well that at any moment, no matter how much the first mother reassured us, that she can change her mind, and more importantly, that she has every right to do so. So um, we kind of forgave it, let it go, and moved on. The attorney wanted to um, have my daughter sign the TPR in the hospital. My daughter decided to wait. She just had this inkling that she just wanted to wait a day or two. Um, We saw the frustration of the adoptive parents with that. We saw the frustration with the attorney with that. 
but we, my daughter just decided anyways, she just stood up for herself and said, no, I, I just need to go home and, you know, whatever. However, the child, the baby went home with the adoptive parents, the prospective adoptive parents. And the plan was the plan with the attorney and the adoptive parents and all of our family was that we would be able to, you know, see the child, see the baby anytime we really kind of wanted as long as it worked in their schedule. The child was still my daughter's and uh, my daughter allowed them to take her home so that there wouldn't be in a temporary home. I mean, they had to be here for a couple weeks for um, interstate compact law. And she didn't want to have the baby in two different places, you know, if, if it were to still go. So then we did start to see, not, not necessarily me, um, but my daughter and her boyfriend started to notice within those two weeks there was some conflict of them, the adoptive parents, not wanting to allow the kids to see their daughter. So they started to wonder if this was just something that was difficult for them. Where, where was this going? And uh, so actually, it wasn't my daughter that came to me first. It was um, the father of the baby stopped over and, and was very concerned, talked to my husband about it. So my husband set up another appointment with, with another you know, meeting time with them a couple days before the TPR could be, re- you know, it could be revoked. TPR is the abbreviation of termination of parental rights. The length of time that a voluntary TPR takes will depend on what state the child resides in. And it can be anywhere from zero to 30 days. So um, we sat with them, my husband and I, my daughter and her boyfriend, and the adoptive parents, the prospective adoptive parents, and went over the whole list of the agreement once again with my husband there. He went he went through it because, you know, my husband has kind of the authority here. He's the husband. He's the father of my daughter. And this is a very important part of our family. And so he went, he went through the list again. We talked about it all over again, all six of us. And, yep, the agreement was still going to be the way it was. Um, there was no problem there. There was um, even more things offered at the open adoption there that um, the adoptive father wanted. And, you know, we were, we were just all, okay, okay, I guess, I guess, you know, I don't know what happened the last two weeks, but, you know, they seem like they're still on, on that path. And, you know, they've made promises to these kids with all of us here. <laughs> it's all written down. The attorney knows about it. It's all written down. Surely it's going to be fine. Two weeks after baby uh, left to Texas with um, with the family, uh, the family deleted my daughter and and the father of the baby off Facebook and all of our family. That's where the turmoil started and the conflict started because um, they never, they didn't talk to the kids about it. They just did it. That's when my husband and I started asking, you know, can we just chat about this? What happened? Um, The adopted mom said the kids didn't do anything wrong. They haven't commented on pictures. They haven't done anything. We're just struggling because we can't make her feel like ours. Wow. My heart really aches for this first family so much. 
And I know we are only hearing this side of the story, but if all of this is as she states, shame on that adoptive couple for doing that. We have three amazing, beautiful extended families through our open adoptions with our kids. And at least for now, love having them to touch base with anytime they want to. We went through tons of counseling and parenting classes through the agency that taught us about bonding with the child and with the first family. Heather's daughter and her boyfriend were devastated, as you can imagine. It just killed the kids. It it just devastated the kids. Uh, They were on their way to college here in a couple months. The the, the baby was born in in February. So, uh, you know, it was March, March that this started happening. You know, they're just finishing up their senior year in high school, trying to get their credits done and focus on that. And then this happens. So it, it all went downhill very quickly there because my husband and I were kindly, you know, talking to this family saying, hey, what, what are you doing? Just, you know, okay, if you're struggling with that, give them something else. Assure them with something that you're not, you're going to give it back. You know, we need to have some assurance. This just pulled the rug right out from underneath them and they've lost all confidence. So trying to diplomatically, you know, be involved and try to bring this back together and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. They got worse. So um, four weeks after when, when the baby was four weeks old, we had communicated with the adoptive parents um, so frequently to try to fix things that they got frustrated and said, we'll just give her back. We'll just give her back. I'm sorry. What? So uh, we got the phone call. My husband got the phone call and he said, yes, give her back, fly her back here. We'll contact the attorney. The attorney um, was called that night. It was a Friday night. Uh, the attorney said, yes, we'll get her back. And then uh, a couple days after the attorney said, we'll get her back, I got the phone call from the attorney saying, it can't be done. It can't be done. It cannot be undone. Here's the law, blah, blah, blah. I talked to the judge. She said all these things, and we were devastated, just devastated, and not thinking clearly, (laughs) definitely not thinking clearly, but we were devastated because we believed her. She was an attorney one um, and she was my daughter's attorney we're believing that this attorney is working in the best interest of my daughter and our family because she sympathized with us we had actually called her when the Facebook was deleted and she said I'll call them back they can't do that if they're having issues they got to go get therapy themselves this has nothing to do with the kids um, you know if they're having a hard time they need to work this out with themselves they can't they can't take things away from the ch- the kids from their issues. So, you know, I believed her, trusted her because she was on, you know, trying to do what she could do. I don't know if that ever happened, by the way. I don't know if she ever called them and, and talked to them about it. After um, we found out or were told that we couldn't get her back, um, the attorney just said she needs some counseling. She needs to move on. Your family needs to move on. And I was like, what? How does this happen? This can't happen. But again, we believed her. My husband and I are educated, but we run a business and we're not attorneys. You hire attorneys because they know the law. It's one of the biggest regrets I have is just not checking, hiring an attorney to check on a journey, right? I mean, that's what I felt like I have to do nowadays. And things just got worse from there. We begged for um, visits, or not not even visits, just pictures, getting together. We, we asked them to just sit together 
meet together, you know, rework things, figure it out. And they just, they just really declined that and were really frustrated with us. So um, we found out that um, during, in November, by, by November, which would have been nine months, um, eight months um, after this, after the baby was born, the adoption was final and we were called, my husband was called by um, the adoptive parents' father and and we were told that the adoption was officially closed. Ouch. I've said it before and I will continue to say it, to bring awareness to it because I feel like it isn't communicated appropriately. An open adoption is not legally binding in most states. The adoptive parents have the ability to choose when and if the child gets to see their first family. Up until recently, I was naive enough to believe that if an adoptive family agreed upon an open adoption, they would actually stick to their word. I don't get how you can agree to that with the woman who is literally giving you her child to take care of and provide the life she expected you to and then just rip it right out from underneath her like that. Unless, of course, the child was in some sort of danger. But according to Heather, this adoptive couple didn't even give it a chance. And that is just really tragic. Anyway, back to Heather. Yeah, they're closing it. Don't contact. Do whatever you have to do, but don't contact. So that happened. And prior to that, my daughter begged for her baby back the entire six months, nine months, eight months. It, it was it was constant. Please just give her back. Don't don't do this to our family. Don't do this to me. I can't, we can't live like this. This wasn't the agreement. Um, so, uh, that, that happened. So they closed it officially. We were told and devastated, devastated. We had just lost a child in our family by deceit. Like I said earlier, the first family has a period of time that they can change their mind about the adoption before their parental rights are terminated. After that, the child is technically the custody of the agency or the attorney until it is finalized in court, although the adoptive family has a child with them at home. I asked Heather how long her daughter had to change her mind. They only had 72 hours. If we had, I'll tell you, if we had 30 days, the, the child would still be here. I contacted another attorney thinking, how can they do this? Um, surely there's something wrong here. We want either the open adoption back, agreement back, or we want her back. We really wanted her back. She was ours, and um, she should have been back. And so it turned out that the attorney through we hired another attorney. My daughter hired another attorney out of state, one of the best attorneys in the country for this. Um, we were serious, and I don't think they believed we would do it, but we did. And we knew we had an uphill battle because open adoptions are not enforceable by law. But um, there was another case in Nebraska that they actually gave the child back to the parents because the open adoption isn't legally binding and therefore doesn't exist. So their state, Nebraska um, ha Supreme Court, had that right. They called that right. But So we, we decided to go forward on, on a lawsuit. But prior to that, at the two-year statute of limitations, we reached out to them and said, we didn't threaten them with a the lawsuit. We just said, hey, 
let's get this together. The kids really need to have this adoption open. And, and so does, so does the little girl. So does my granddaughter. And, and, um, they declined. They said, you'll never see her. And I, and all of this is documented. It's, it's so documented that it's a full of, in a box. And, and part of that documentation going forward with the lawsuit was, um, this attorney wasn't going to take this case unless he knew that we were truthful and we had the evidence and he took, it took him a year to walk through all the documents, all his own discovery and investigating. And within that investigation time, we found out that the attorney that um, we thought was my daughter's wasn't my daughter's attorney at all. The attorney actually represents, always represents the adoptive parents because the adoptive parents pay the attorney. It was never disclosed to my daughter or our families that she never represented my daughter. I was stunned. I had never heard of this before. The agency that we went through, which was also an attorney, definitely represented both of us. They also provided a social worker and several services for the first family, like paying for clothes and medical costs and assistance with past due bills, stuff like that. All free of charge to them because we paid for it. So it's unfortunate that in this case, they did not have the representation that they thought they did. And in many other cases as well. So here's what happened. And this is, this is so crucial to adoption and ethical issues and laws. An adoption attorney can represent both the adoptive parents. Well, they're going to adopt, represent adoptive, adoptive parents for sure, because they get paid by the adoptive parents and represent or not represent the birth mother, but also could have uh, custody of the child. So this attorney represented the adoptive parents because they're going to pay them. I was never, I was never told that she never disclosed it to any of us. She represented my daughter uh, by her actions all the things she did, she represented our daughter, never disclosing she never represented our daughter legally. And then she had custody of the child. She was the legal custodian of the child. So when this conflict arose, who was she going to represent? Well, I would hope they would do what is the best interest of the child, bottom line. But Heather and her family did not and do not feel like that's what happened. They feel betrayed, and quite honestly, like all of their lives, including the little girls, will always be affected by this. And I just cannot imagine how that must feel. So um, that's what happened, and and that's how how that how we didn't get her back. And we found out through the discovery and the attorney that represented us in the lawsuit that that two days after the phone call to us telling us that we couldn't get her back and that she had talked to a judge. The attorney talked to a judge. We couldn't get her back. Two days later was the deadline for my daughter to file for her daughter back. And she would have. Attorney representation is so important for every mother who's making a plan for adoption. She, She needs her own representation because there's just too much fraud in adoption to not have her know her rights and for somebody to fight for her when she changes her mind. When, when you think of um, expectant moms in a place where, you know, they're, 
in a crisis and they're thinking about relinquishing their child and they reach out to an attorney, they don't know any of this. They're in a crisis. Their minds aren't working well. They're, they're troubled and they're not educated. My husband and I are educated and we just got scammed by adoptive parents and an attorney. <laughs> I mean, so for, for moms who are walking this, they have no idea what's going on. So yes, representation for them is, is a must. Absolutely. Listen, wouldn't you rather adopt a child knowing that the first family had every option laid out in front of them so that they can make a fully educated and empowered choice? As an adoptive mother, I thought that the four business days of waiting to see if they would change their mind was like an eternity. But I now see the power and benefit in giving them even more time to make their final choice. And I also think that they deserve that time. It is of the utmost importance for a woman to feel empowered in whichever choice she makes when it comes to her child, period. As adoptive parents, it is the cross we bear, so to speak. You have to go into adoption with the understanding that the first mother has every right to change her mind. I can attest that patience is key and timing is everything. Heather's family was not going to go on without trying every option to make this right in their minds and hearts. Anyways, we, we decided my, my daughter went to court. It took several years because they stall. They stall for everything. And uh, our case went to um, the district court and the district judge dismissed the case. Just dismissed it. Our attorneys had never seen such a thing. I mean, had excellent attorneys. Our, our attorneys were top of the line in the country. And they had never seen it. I think it was, you know, it's a small, it's a small town. I think it was personal. And however, so then we appealed it, which was, which was great. We appealed it and we won uh, in the court of appeals because they recognized that, that that needed to be handled and it could, it needed to go back to trial. They let the adopted parents off. Of course, she was four years old. They were looking at her best interest and their declaration in the court of appeals, their decision was based on my daughter signing her TPR. She signed it willingly, knowing that an open adoption was not legally binding. Uh, and then they declared if there was fraud and coercion for her to sign that, it didn't matter. It, the adoptive parents could do whatever they wanted because she signed it, knowing that it wasn't a legal binding agreement. Basically, the courts just said, yeah, you can, you know, fraud and coerce anybody in, in, in an open adoption situation. And if, as long as the mother's told that it's not legally binding, then you can do that. I've always been one to give people the benefit of the doubt and the grace, but um, the evidence shows different. And, and, you, and when we went through the, um, the deposition, well, we didn't get the depositions, the discovery part, and the whole year long of um, what took place, we understood what happened. The state of Nebraska did the right thing. I mean, it was set a precedence. When one child, infant, is given back to the birth parents because an adoption, um, an open adoption wasn't fulfilled, even though it's not legally bound, that made that state go into complete chaos because you have all these open adoptions and um, anybody can claim that they, their open adoption isn't working, they're not doing it, and they could get their child back. So they, they took that and went, oh, my goodness, we have to change the open adoption laws. So I'm not quite sure what they did, but, but they made the right choice because it started holding people accountable. 
I asked if they ended up going to trial. We decided not to go to trial with the attorney because it's costly. We've already, you know, you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get your child back, your grandchild back, or your child back, and um, the court system just let the, the adoptive parents off the hook. The child wasn't going to come back. The worst thing that could happen to the attorney was her, you know, her license yanked. Yes, my daughter would have won millions of dollars because that was how serious it was. And, but, you know, we didn't go down that path because it would have cost another hundreds of thousands of dollars to go there. The, the child wasn't coming back. So um, here we are, seven years later, no contact. Um, well, there's been some contact. Um, we send her gifts. They come back. They send gifts back. They don't um, acknowledge my daughter. That's where we're at with the adoption. She's She'll be seven in, in February. When this all happened and took place and the dust settled after a couple of years, as a mother of my own daughter, I started uh, questioning what happened and what adoption is all about. And uh, because I watched my daughter go through such a challenging time, as she does every day, but these kids, the, the, the kids went to college and one of them, the, the father's still in college. Uh, he's on his sixth year, sixth year, and we'll have one more year. Um, the damage, the post-traumatic stress, the um, illnesses my, my daughter has and my daughter's um, father to her baby, they, they have illnesses from the stress and that continues. So I started really questioning adoption and in the way that how could this be such a wonderful option when, when there's so much pain? And that concludes part one of Heather's story. As always, you can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. If you want to leave a comment about today's episode or have a question about anything you heard, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839. The theme song, Forever Home, was written and produced by David Other. Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, production, and editing of this show is done by me, Amber Wett. Tune in next time to hear part two of Heather's story. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it and please rate and review me on iTunes, hopefully with five stars. Goodbye.